If you would, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish off the section that we looked at last week for communion. And then I've decided that... uh, I'm, we, we, we went through this great thing of the doctrines of grace and these solas and having this foundation of what a great salvation we have. And uh, I decided that what I want to do is I wanna, I'm going to go into Galatians next week, start into the book of Galatians. And I want to bring to you guys what Paul shows us, this defense of the gospel how he defends the gospel through the book of Galatians. And so I would recommend that in your reading, if you want to start reading through Galatians, to read through it. I've been reading through it. It doesn't take long. It's five chapters, five or six chapters right in there. And it doesn't take long to read. And read it not with chapter breaks, but read it as a letter. Because that's how it was written, without verses and without chapter breaks. And so read it as like that. So That's where I'm going to be headed. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your your grace, Lord, that has saved us all. Father, we thank you that it is abundant grace, and you never run out of grace for us. So Lord, I just pray now that you would have that grace upon the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I deliver your message, that, Father, you would show us much of Christ today. Lord, that is what we need. We need to see much of Christ, that he would increase and we would decrease. Father, give us a love for him and an adoration for him, for who he truly is, the God-man. So, Father, do this. May your spirit accompany your preaching. May, Father, you come and convict us where our lives need to be convicted and encourage us, Father, to pursue you with vigor in our lives, Father, that we would be pleasing, that we may see what, seek what Paul seeked, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So, superiority, right? Someone who's superior, someone who is supreme, right? We we watch these uh, alien movies, right? And the aliens come down and, oh, the supreme leader, right? And and so forth. So we, we, we see this word supreme or superiority in it. It means the act of being superior, it's a person or thing that is greater than another. We've maybe encountered this in people, right? In our humanness where we encounter people that have a superiority, right? Not only in position as a boss, right? They would be superior in that way. But not only in that, but in a sinful way too where they're just, I'm just a little bit better than you. 
I'm a little bit superior than you. So we see this word superior. It's the state of being superior or uh, superior in quality or, or being higher or greater or better. And we all know people in our lives that are this way. We may encounter them this way. You might be this way. You might be the one who is superior and you have this mindset that, that uh, you are better than somebody else and so you use that superiority to manipulate others or you use that superiority to control others or you become arrogant to people. The pulpit is not a place of superiority. I will tell you that now. Whoever's in this pulpit is not superior to you, but is in need of Christ just as much as you're in need of Christ. And so I want you to understand that from my viewpoint. But let's look at superiority in all of its glory, in all of its exaltation, because only Christ is the one who is truly superior. He is the only one who truly has all supremacy. He is the only one who is the being who is higher and greater and better in every aspect. So let's look at this as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4 where he says, Let each of you look no longer to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is in yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in his human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of what just took place, that's what the therefore is there for, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see his absolute supremacy, his superiority in those few verses. Let's look at four areas where he is superior in this text. First of all, Jesus is superior in his exaltation. He's superior in his exaltation. Verse 9, Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore, because of the work that Christ has done, because of who he was, what he became, and the work that he did, therefore, because he was obedient to the God's will, because he did what God wanted him to do, because he propitiated God's wrath, because he saved a people for himself because of his glorification of God, this is what he says, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus. He is superior in his exaltation. He has exalted him. And he bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So we see that Jesus is exalted. What is he exalted in? He's exalted in his resurrection and in his position. He's exalted in his resurrection and his position. Listen to Acts 2, 32 and 33. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted, this is Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Acts 5, 30 and 31. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So we see in those acts that Jesus is exalted what in his resurrection because God has raised him from the grave, but he's exalted where? To the right hand of God. He sits on the right hand of God in all power, in all authority, completely sovereign. This is his exaltation. Remember, we had his exaltation to his humiliation, and now we're back to his exaltation again. But we see where he is supreme in this exaltation. Psalms 45, 6 puts it this way. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. We see that Jesus is enthroned in glory. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is exalted in resurrection and position positionally he is exalted at the right hand of God he's also exalted in his intercession for you and I he's also exalted in that intercession for us Hebrews 4 15 puts it this way for we do not have a high priest remember the high priest in the old testament the high priest in the old testament what did he do he interceded for the people he was the one that would go into the holy of holies And what would he do? He would intercede for the people. And so this is what Jesus does for us. He intercedes for us because he is our high priest. That's who he is. He intercedes for us. This is what Hebrews tells us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. What beautiful two verses that we do not have a high priest who sits at the right hand of God, right? Who's enthroned in glory that cannot sympathize with us. There's nothing that you can sit there and say, Jesus, you just don't get it. You just don't understand because he understands everything because he is fully human. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. We have a man in heaven, the God-man Jesus Christ, who sympathizes with all of our weaknesses. He knows our depression. He knows our joy. He knows our trials. He knows our thoughts. He knows these things and he sympathizes with them because he was us. And this then, this is what the Hebrew writer says, then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Do we look at God's throne as that? This is the throne of grace. This is the throne of mercy. And this is where we go. With confidence, not our with confidence because of Christ, because of the work of Christ, because it's Christ who intercedes for us. That's why we enter with confidence, because of his work, not because of our own merit, but because of his work. 
He's exalted in this intercession. Hebrews 7.25 says it this way. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is what Jesus does for us. He makes intercession for us. Always for his bride. Always for his bride. He's always in continual care for you and I. For you and I, always continually caring for us. Always interceding for us. So he's exalted in position. And he's exalted in his intercession. So Jesus is superior in this exaltation. Secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus is superior in name. Jesus is superior in name. Look at verses 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the name, is, 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 is the name that is exalted, is it Jesus? No, the name is Lord. This is, he is superior name. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This name Lord, it's, it's Jesus' rightful name. As he is the God-man. He is Lord. He is master. He is owner. He is the sovereign. This is the name that is above every name. Is Lord. He is the Lord of all. Hebrews 1.4 says this, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I love the writer to Hebrews. The name that he has inherited is more excellent. It is superior to any of the angels. This is Lord. This is Master. This is the sovereign one that Jesus is. He's exalted in his name. Luke 2.11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This baby, this baby in the manger, who is he? He's the Lord. He's the master. This is who he is. This is who he is. He's, he's supreme in his name. John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord. And Jesus says, and you are right. So I am. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't have any identity problems. He knew exactly who he was. He knew he was Lord. He knew he was the creator. He knew he was these things. And he even says that. And so I am. Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again in Acts 10.36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of some. Now he's Lord of all, right? He's Lord, Lord of all. That means, guess what? He is Lord of you. You see, there's a theology that can be out there that says that Jesus can be your Savior and then sometime down the road, then you can make him your Lord. Absolutely wrong theology. Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. He's Lord and he's Savior. He can't be one and not the other. He is both. He is your Lord and he is your Savior. He is both Christ and Lord. This is who he is. This is who he is. 
He is supreme in this. And finally, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. That's what the Apostle Paul says. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. We exist because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is superior in name because the name that is given to him is Lord of all. Third, Jesus is superior in worship. He is superior in worship. Look at Philippians 2, 10 and 11 again. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this word every, this word every that we see, I don't know, who, this word every, I don't have it up there. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This word every means the whole. It means all. It means everything. Every knee shall bow. No one is exempt. Everyone will bow. It means the whole. And this, this word bow, it means to bend the knee. It means to bow, to bend the knee. So every, every knee will what? Bow, will be bent to Jesus. Why? Because he is the Lord. So what's this mean? It means angels worship him. The angels will worship him. Listen to Isaiah 6, 1, 2, and 3. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne hot, lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So we see that the Lord is high. He's lifted up. His train, his victory, his supremacy fills the temple. There is no one like this one that is seated on this throne that Isaiah is looking at. He is beyond beyond. He is beyond excellence. He is seated in glory and in holiness. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see the angels in Isaiah 6 worship him. They say he's holy, holy, holy. They say he's good, he's better, he's the best the highest, the glorious, the most excellent. This is who Jesus is, that the angels cover their face because they can't see his glory. But they worship him and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The angels will worship him. You and I, brothers and sisters, the redeemed will worship him. We will worship him forever. In eternity, we will worship him. That's what Revelations 4 tells us. Revelations 4.10. The 24 elders fall down before him. This is the church who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed, and we were created. The redeemed here, the redeemed in heaven, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. 
They're worshiping God. Even the ones who reject God, who are experiencing his wrath or will experience the wrath in hell, what will they do for eternity? They will worship God. They'll be thinking, they will hate it. They will hate every aspect of it. Gnashing of teeth. They're still mad at him. But he's still holy. And he is exalted. So the re- angels worship him. The redeemed worship him. All people will worship him. All people will worship him. Right? That's what it says. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. There is no one exempt from worshiping Jesus. All will worship him. Psalm 2, 7 says this. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Right? O kings of the earth, serve the Lord. Oh, we sometimes wonder, where is this world coming to? What's this place coming to? I, you know, I talked to my dad, and I'm going to throw him under the bus here. But we talked to him, and he's like, ah, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it because I'm checking out. You know, and he's right. He's checking out. But all of us are checking out, you know? But that's the thing. This is what it is. The person in the White House is not supreme. He's not superior, right? The, 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 the president of China, Putin in Russia, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un in Korea, they're not supreme. They're not superior. This is what it says. Jesus will break them with a rod of iron. This is our king. He will break them with the honor of iron. He will dash them in pieces. The nations will worship him. These kings will worship him. These men who think they are high and lifted up and exalted will bow the knee to him. What do we fear? We have the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It is him. Everybody will bow the knee to him. Everybody will confess. That's what it says. They will confess that Jesus is Lord. They will acknowledge the fact that Jesus is Lord. They will agree to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And they will agree and they will acknowledge fully, either willingly or unwillingly, they will agree and they will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And they will bend the knee. Brothers and sisters, what what an awesome God we have. What an awesome Savior we have that is so superior and he is supreme in every aspect. Every aspect. He is finally, number four, he is superior and this superiority is to the glory of God. It is to the glory of God. Hebrews, or Philippians 2.11 And every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. And what will this do? To the glory of God the Father. It honors the Father. It honors Him. When we confess and we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, it is to God's glory. It glorifies Him. It glorifies Him. 
John 5.23 says this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Pretty simple. Jesus says that if you honor me, you honor my Father. If you bring glory to me, you bring glory to my Father. But if you don't honor me, you don't glorify my Father. Pretty simple statement. And in John 13, 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. We see Jesus as being glorified, and the Father is glorified in Jesus. When we see Jesus hanging on a cross for our sin, bearing the wrath of God for our sin, he is ultimately at the pinnacle of God's glory. He's glorifying the Father by doing the will of the Father. And in him glorifying the Father, the Father is glorified. You see, in Isaiah 53, it says, it pleased the Father to crush the Son. It glorified God to crush his Son. Because what? The Son was bringing glory to the Father. So when we glorify Jesus, we glorify the Father. Jesus, being supreme in all these things, glorifies the Father because it honors the Father. He is glorified completely. So now, how do we look at this as you and I? How do we apply this, right? How do we put this to our own lives, right? Because we can sit here and say, hey, Mark, great message, good, Jesus is superior. So what's that do for me? Well, it does a lot for us, right? We've got to think through it sometimes, right? So let's ask a question. Do you and I acknowledge the proper position of Christ? Do we acknowledge that? And that question is probably yes. We acknowledge that Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is Lord. We acknowledge that in our mind. We know that to be true. We know that to be a fact that that's where he sits in position, in authority. But the question is, is do you bow the knee to the Lordship of Christ? You see, knowing that Jesus is Lord, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, means that we're no better than the demons. Because the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons know that Jesus is Lord. The demons acknowledge that where he is, But brothers and sisters, what makes a difference is when we bow the knee to who he is. When he commands all the affections of our heart, is he Lord of your life? That's the question we have to ask. Does he have the rightful position in your heart as master and owner? Do we believe that we are bought at a price and therefore we're to glorify God in our bodies being obedient to what he has called us to do this brings glory to him when we're obedient to what he wants us to do when we bow the knee to that lordship is he the lord of your heart that is the question does he command that or is your work the Lord of your heart? Is the, your work what you're in servitude to? Where all your affections are for? 
Or is it your family? Where all your affections go to, all your desires go to, or your finances. When you lose all of your finances, when you lose everything that you work so hard for, which is easy to happen, does your heart faint? Or are we like Job and say what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Naked I came in and naked I go. Do we do that? Look at what Job lost. Look at what Job lost. Is it your family? Is it your finances? Or is it your stuff? Is it your stuff that you're holding tightly to that has all your affections? Brothers and sisters, God is not against us having stuff, but what he is against is stuff having us. He's not against us having stuff, but he's against stuff having us. He's against the materialism having us, having our hearts. You see, Jesus is supreme. He reigns in superiority, and he needs to have the superiority of our hearts. Is this not the battle that we face every day? Ultimately, what it is, is that you and I have difficulty surrendering our full affections to Jesus. We battle this every day, and it will be a battle for us until the day we die, or he comes and takes us home. When we are finally home, that's when our affections will be truly for him. Our affections will be truly for him because we will ultimately, with eyes wide open, see his supremacy and see all of his glory. See, we see that faintly here right now. And so we struggle. But when we get home and we're home and our eyes are open and we see him for all that he is, then he will truly be the ruler of our hearts. But until then, while we are in the presence of sin, we will always struggle. So don't feel bad, brothers and sisters, if there's a struggle in your life. We are not perfect, and we will never be perfect until we are home with him. We will always have struggles in our lives of what he wants us to do. It will be a constant struggle. So, brothers and sisters, to close, I just want to say this that you and I, until that time when we come home, may we be amazed as we read the word. May we be amazed at who Jesus is in his manhood and in his godhood. May we be amazed that he is the one who is superior in position, superior in name, superior in intercession, and superior in worship, and all this Jesus does to glorify the Father. May our lives glorify God that it will honor the Son. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for this time that we have. Lord, may you truly be the Lord of our hearts. Father, I would be the first one in this room to confess that there are times where you know that you are not Lord of my heart, but all these things work and family and finances and stuff come in the way of you Lord that they battle for my affections so Father I pray that you would work in Faith Bible Church Lord work in my heart work in my life to show me how Jesus is much more superior and much more greater and he is better than all of these things that my eyes will be focused on him
and my heart would be truly his, Lord. I pray that for Faith Bible Church too, Lord, that our, our hearts would be truly yours and that we would worship you and that we would bow the knee to you for your glory, Lord.